Hello. And welcome to Brujas. Woo! Wahoo! Hello. Hope Hello. everyone is doing well. Yes, I'm Marissa. And I'm Skyly. I don't think we did that the last episode. Yeah, but you know what? Who really <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Our names are at the top of the Spotify yes. thing. So yes. Also, shout out to all of our listeners. Sometimes I like to look at the locations. I'm just more interested in that. Like, who's listening where? Uh, And I feel like we have some people who consistently listen. So shout out, you guys. (laughs) Someone in Virginia definitely listens all the time. All my Connecticut people. I love that. Yes. (laughs) I haven't looked at those stats, but it's just interesting. I know. Um, We're glad you still love the Duggars. Yes, 50 downloads. Oh my God. I'm so excited by that. A Duggar podcast. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, oh, speaking of Duggar news, I was saving this. Ooh, you have Duggar news? Yes. Yes. Okay. So the speculation Mm. right now is that at least Anna Duggar is pregnant. Oh, Um, okay. But yesterday, Jessa Duggar announced she is pregnant with (gasps) number four. That's a lot of that's a lot of yep. babies. They live in a two bedroom house. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, I guess originally the Duggars lived in like a three bedroom house when they had like sixteen kids. Sixteen. Yeah, that's probably spacious to her then. Yeah, she's like, wow, only four kids sharing a room. What she should really do is just buy some metal houses online and assemble them. <laughs> right. Come on, Jim Bob. Jim, Jim Boob. Jim Boob. Kim Bob Oon was the one that I saw that I Kim Bob Oon. <laughs> Kim Bob Oon made me laugh. Love all these um, alter egos. Yes. So now we'll have new material to snark on. Definitely. Amazing. Yes. Wait, is she the one whose kid is named Spurgeon? Yes, she is. Okay. So there's hope that her next child could have an equally as atrocious name. Oh, they want. Okay. So the initials of her children's names. Her first is Spurgeon. Uh-huh. So that's S. Her second is Henry, so that's H. Her third uh-huh. is Ivy, which is I. So they're like, <laughs> so please. <T. laughs> they're like, please name your, your oh my God. <laughs> that would give me life. <laughs> yes. So here's hoping Tatum <laughs> or some stupid name or something. So <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that people are researching this. Yes. It's amazing. Congratulations. Is is it a congratulations? I don't think we should be congratulating them. For hey, you know, yeah, that's what they want. Go for it. But I just feel bad for their kids. No, I feel bad for them too. But hopefully every generation will get even like the most tiny bit more progressive. That's what we can hope yeah. for. Jill is a tiny bit more progressive and her kids are going to public school. So here's hoping yeah we'll see okay um, should we get into our bops and flops of the week yes would you like to go first okay i'll start with my flop because <laughs> okay. it was a rough one um so on monday my mom and i both had the day off mm-hmm. so we're like oh we'll go rug shopping we we're just like looking we were like generally going furniture shopping, looking for different yeah. things, bought some throw pillows, bought a new rug. It's adorable. I love it. It's like 
gray, blue, and orange kind of a print. I'll have to send you a picture. Yes. But it looks very cute. And anyways, so I got home that afternoon after having been out all day, put the rug down, start unloading everything from my bags. And I'm like, oh, where is my wallet? And then I was like losing my mind. I'm like, I know I had it. Like, Yeah, I'm, you bought all the things. Oh, well, she was buying it for me. It was a nice oh, part about okay, shopping nice. with your mom. Yes. But I, I definitely had had my wallet on yeah. my person as we were out and about. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I was like searching my car. I searched my bag, my coat pockets. I'm like, it's not here. And I don't have a big wallet. It's more of like a card, like a leather card holder. Yeah, I have that too. I know what you mean. And so I'm like, oh, it's so tiny. It could fall in anywhere. So I call her. I'm like, we're in your car. Like, just look down the seat. Like, it has to be there, right? And then, nope, it wasn't there. So I start calling some of the, like, the various stores we'd gone to. Uh-huh. And I called one, I think it was Home Goods, and she's like, no, nobody's turned in a wallet yet, but let me check up front and see if anyone has like recently brought one in. And so I was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, it's like a peachy orange color. It's a little card holder. Like, just tell me your name and like, it's probably yours. Cause somebody's brought in. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then I tell her my name and I spell it out. And she's like, oh no, like, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's not yours. I'm like, oh my God. where could it be so I'm thinking about it and then I'm like maybe it like fell out in the parking lot somewhere because we had like left my car in the parking lot and then just got in her car to like drive around Mm -hmm. and so I called a store that we hadn't gone into but was like near where we parked and I'm like has anyone turned in a wallet and she's like no let me go check same thing I'm like oh it's not gonna be there and she's like, oh, yep, like we have it. Like, come on down and get it. I was like, oh my God, it literally made my day. Somebody oh, must have, God. it had definitely gotten run over probably by me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, I was just so happy to get it back. Cause yes. that was the worst feeling of like, oh, I'm going to cancel all my credit cards. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have to get my driver's license picture retaken. And that one actually looked good. So I'm not willing <laughs> to part with it. <laughs> Oh. But so that was really a big flop of my like freak out. And then, you know what? It turned into a good thing. I got yes. it back and now I'm going to be obsessively conscientious about not losing it again. Good for you. I'm glad that you got it back. Yes. So happy ending on that one. Yes. What is your flop of the week? Um, it hasn't been a great week, um, but I guess I my know. biggest flop is that my second dose of the vaccine was just rescheduled without my consent because there was a delayed shipment mm-hmm. and it only affected the place where I was going to go get it. And it's, okay, this is my beef too. Mm-hmm. The only place affected was this vaccination superstation near where I live. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, couldn't the little tiny vaccine clinics have given the superstation enough vaccines like or you couldn't have rescheduled to a different place um I don't know my mom suggested I just like go walk in but she's like the place that I went to I just walked in and got it but she got the Pfizer not the Moderna so I would have to like find a place true specifically doing Moderna that specifically has second doses Mm -hmm. so it would just be pretty hard to do I just think that the smaller vaccine stations should have all given a small portion of what they had to a super center, the super center, because it's a lot easier to reschedule like a hundred appointments than Mm -hmm. it is to reschedule thousands of appointments because they were closed for like 
three days. Yeah. And now it's just a mess. I'm, they rescheduled my dad's, which was supposed to be this Saturday. Mine is still technically there, but I mean, oh my gosh. I don't know what's going to happen. It's a nightmare. So it is a nightmare. Um, additionally, the Moderna one, they, they like put out a message not to worry that you can go up to 42 days mm-hmm. between doses before you have to start all over. But yeah. you're already supposed to wait 30 days between doses. Mm-hmm. So that means we have like, what, a week and a half <laughs> of, of delays before you have to start all over again. Oh so no. And like, with, it was uh, so bad for you the first time. Yes. I'm just like hoping and praying that I, my vaccine was rescheduled to Monday, which, yeah. so that means I have to miss work to get it and not yeah. get paid. Um, and also miss Tuesday, but I just hope they don't cancel it again. I'm just like, oh my, my email and be yeah. like, please, <laughs> like, please don't. So. Yeah. I, I know somebody who they ran out of guess, I guess like in Connecticut in general, <laughs> temporarily so somebody had gotten it and they were scheduled to get their second one and they're like the soonest that they could get in the next appointment was seven weeks away from their original so they're like at that point like there's nothing you can do you just have to start over yes uh it seems so so frustrating yeah i just they're saying now that they're like prioritizing second doses and i'm just like i just think like you should have been doing that in the first place. Like all the appointments that you should have canceled should have been people who were going to get it first. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry to those people, right? But this is just creating more and more chaos. Like, ugh, it's just it's a clusterfuck. So I know. <laughs> uh, well, fingers crossed. Sending you good energy, and hopefully everything works out. You can get Thank it, you. and that it's it's easy. I hope. It was, it was fine for me, but I got the Pfizer one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're just going to think positively. And you know what? Exactly. We, we can get angry. We can get our, our rage crystal Yeah, and then my activated. Like, Calm down. You're just getting upset. And I'm like, don't bullshit me and tell me you wouldn't be acting the exact same way. Yeah, just because they're position. good. <laughs> yeah, and like, okay, but there's nothing you can do. I'm like, I know there's nothing I can do. I'm still upset and I'm allowed to feel things and feel emotions and feel angry. Okay, yeah, you're allowed to vent. You. Yeah, I'm just like venting and being angry, and they're just like, "Oh my god, like stop!" There's nothing they can do. And I'm like, "Mom, you, I love you, but you smug bitch. You already got your second dose. <laughs> of course, you're just like, hey, it's fine." <laughs> like, oh, you know what? That's why you have a podcast to rant <laughs> because people will support your rage and people will support exactly. your venting, or they will oh. fast forward through. Either way, irrelevant. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Speaking, okay, can I just do my bob really quick, I guess? Yes, do Speaking it. Speaking of venting and stuff, cappuccino, I think, is my bop of the week. Oh my God, I love app. it. Yes, I'd never heard of it before. Me neither. It's I was so hashtag cute. influenced by TikTok. Basically, it's this like tiny podcast app where like you record three minute segments either all at once, which is what I do while I'm in the shower, or like throughout the day and then in the morning your friends can listen to it and yes each little recording is called a bean and so they brew the beans and give you your cappuccino in the morning I love it and it's adorable yes I like so to listen it. to yours when I'm sitting in my car in the morning waiting for it to warm up and waiting for the frost ah! to melt on the windshield and so I'm like this is giving me some joy yes. <laughs> exactly they're like mini facetimes basically just like a little 
detox of your day. You're yes. Like, this and this and this and this. I love it. So I love it. It's also, adorable. smaller Bob, I got all your Valentine's cards from you and some other people. I love yours, Bob Ross. Oh my God. Was it not beautiful? <laughs> it is. It now has a special place in my room on my bookshelf. I love it. Um, also, Luke sent me a Valentine that made me laugh, like cry out loud. <laughs> it was... Um, he sent me some seeds and then he uh-huh. sent me a Peppa the pig Valentine. <laughs> and originally, I guess it said, you make my day. Mm-hmm. He like took white out and changed day to gay. <laughs> said, you make my gay. <laughs> but I laughed so hard at that. Oh my God. That's so it funny. Like, it was late at night when I was reading it. So I think that's what contributed to me just like crying. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. Uh, so wow. that was my bop. What is yours? Uh, my bop of the week is very mini, but I think it's interesting. I was telling you about it in my little cappuccino moment. <laughs> It's my scallions, my scal gals. Yes, I think I, I haven't had, like, listened to that one yet. Yesterday okay. I was like joking. Yeah, but whatever. They're my scallions. So we were cooking with scallions and there were like a few, there's four of them. I'm like, okay, I guess you can regrow them. I don't really know if they'll grow. I put them in water. The next day they had grown like freakishly large mouth and apparently in a week they'll be like to their normal size. And I'm kind of disturbed how quickly they're growing, but also very impressed. Yes. And I don't, I didn't expect it to work because I cut them down pretty short, just like the white part. And you put them in like an inch of water and you just change out the water every day. And they're like, they're growing so much. They grew like three inches in like a few days. I'm kind of disturbed. So those are my scal gals. If you want to grow your own scallions, now, you know, it's very entertaining to me every day. I look at them and I'm like, wow, look at them. (laughs) Nature is amazing. Literally (laughs) our conversations have been so dumb lately. We've been watching survivor. So we talk about, but like old school survivor. Yeah, circle course. like 2006 because there yes. was a guy on it from mm-hmm. Brian's hometown. Oh, so, also in this episode, Survivor Panama from whatever year it was, <laughs> they broke up the groups into like by gender and by age. So they're called younger men and older men, younger women and older women. <laughs> So, okay. and then like everyone's getting so offended they're like oh i'm not an older woman blah, blah, blah. i'm like yeah this is like it's problematic in many ways but. yes <laughs> oh god early survivor but, yeah wow. we talk about uh, my scallions we talk about early survivor <laughs> most recently i was like oh my god i love peanut butter i was just eating peanut butter out of the jar mm-hmm. like what is my life devolving into <laughs> but you know that's life <laughs> Exactly. Peanut butter, scallions, and early survivor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad that your week was good. I, yeah, scallions. I got into a weird headspace where I was like, yeah, thinking about high school and don't ever do that if you've graduated from high school. It's a, a deep, dark rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> so, I had a dream yeah. that I had a baby last night. Like, I just like, owned a baby <laughs> I was like oh, what? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was like I woke up kind of like in a panic I'm like oh my god yeah. no I'm not pregnant I'm good <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh so that those that nightmares. really put in perspective <laughs> yes those nightmares where you're pregnant all my nightmares where I'm pregnant I'm like about to give birth and I'm like I don't want to <laughs> I don't I, want it I physically cannot <laughs> yeah I just can't I don't want to do any of this please and then I wake up and I'm like oh thank god <laughs> 
there is no baby. <laughs> I'm like, what was my brain up to? Like, chill. <laughs> Seriously, I've had, I remember all my pregnancy nightmares because they were that traumatizing. Yeah. I remember all of my, my teeth are falling out nightmares. So also, those are yeah. a bad time. I also routinely have nightmares where I'm back in high school and I have to take a test. Like uh-huh. I, my parents warned me it would happen. I'm sure yours did too. Where like you're back in high school and they say either you never actually graduated. So you have to go back and take like a yeah. class or they're yeah. like, you have to take this test or you won't graduate. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like panicking and I don't know where anything is. And I like, I fail the test. It's horrible. It's horrible. Mm, some yeah. Sometimes I think about high school and then I have to stop myself. Okay, you have I'm, to I'm stop. a bit traumatized by it. And I didn't even go to Catholic high school, so <laughs> do and I even know real trauma? <laughs> wasn't much better. Like I just everyone hated me. And then I graduated and I thought my life would be great. And now I'm 24 and I live with my parents. It's yeah. been downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since forever. You you can't say that anymore. You can't sympathize with my parents anymore. But you get what I mean. I get the vibes. <laughs> I get the vibes. <sighs> On that depressing yes. inferno, shall we? get into murder yes we will jump into my case yeah okay i was so excited to talk to you about this case because researching it sometimes i'll like read the beginning snippet of a case not understand fully what's going on and then just kind of figure it out as i research it more that's what happened with this one and let me tell you it gets wild so um also today this crime is the story of a weird horse girl like taken to the max so we oh, yes, you told of horse me. girls yeah so this is weird horse culture also i think you'll really appreciate it it's horse girl energy <laughs> yes Lauren so. energy oh for sure our story starts out in the town of wellington florida which is this little village west of Palm Beach. And it's a pretty small town, but this place is most notably an equestrian epicenter, which I didn't know existed, but apparently it's a thing because it's very exclusive. There's a lot of rich people here and pretty much everyone is into horses. Definitely like there's fancy barns, fancy stables, all that sort of jazz. I fucking hate horses. I'm sorry. I'm scared of horses. They creep me out. They're just like big, stupid, expensive dogs. I just, I don't get it. I don't Also, I think the worst... The thing I'm really anti-horse about is during the Kentucky Derby, like those racehorses, if they break their leg or something, they just kill them. They don't try to rehabilitate yes. them. I hate and that. I Okay, that's terrible. But I was under the impression that like if they break their leg in a certain way, all mm. you can do is kill them because they just like can't. Maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Probably. I think because they're so like tall and weird. Oh my God. Imagine like, if that was the policy for a human. You broke your leg too <laughs> much. <laughs> You're done <laughs> for. <laughs> Sorry. I think that it's because they like can't, if they can't stand, they'll just like die. They can't just like chill out. Oh you my know, God. recovery. Horses I think they have to, to die. Horses are too much. They also can't throw up. Did you know that? Because their what? necks are so weirdly shaped. So well, maybe that would make you like a horse more. <laughs> yes, but the the issue with that is that like it's really easy for them to die because if they eat like too much or eat something poisonous, they're they really not up. evolutionary they just die. <laughs> No, I don't know how they're so alive. They're like the rabbits <laughs> of 
big animals, you know, they just like <laughs> die so easily of stupid things. And oh they're really my God. expensive. Don't get it. Don't get it. That's ridiculous. Okay. So back to Wellington, Florida. Every year from mid-December to late April, about 2,500 riders and 7,500 horses all make their way to Wellington. They do a little pilgrimage. First of all, I think because it's nice there and it's like warm in the winter, but mostly to participate in the Winter Equestrian Festival, which is basically the headquarters of like rich horse people. There they have like this whole season there of like fancy horse shows, competitions, riding clinics. And then that's kind of like the start to their season, like the kickoff. And then, yeah, it's ridiculous. And then from there, they travel around the world with their horses to like compete in other like elite events. But this is like the top, the beginning of it all. It's it's ridiculous. And I don't understand that lifestyle at all. No. Um, One newspaper article described them as the creme de la creme of like horse (laughs) Horse people. Horse people. <laughs> yes. So in this town, like I said before, there's very fancy stables. They have like perfectly manicured paddocks for the horses. And apparently they have these big yellow street signs on every road. It says, drive slow. Horses have the right of way, which I don't think a horse should have a right of way. No, <laughs> nah, these roads were made for me, not for you. <laughs> Get out and... of here. You poop. My car doesn't poop. <laughs> basically for like these five months of the year, this is the place to be if you're trying to live that extreme horse girl lifestyle. So, (laughs) okay. That's the name of the episode. Extreme horse girl lifestyle. I love it. Okay. So our particular story starts in the late autumn of 2002. So we're going back early 2000s. Love it. (laughs) A veterinarian from Illinois reaches out to a man named Soel Shazada who owns a barn in Wellington. I think he just usually rents it out to like different people who are going to be in the area for the horse season. (laughs) And she is inquiring about renting it. So the woman is 44 year old Kathy Crichton and Soel who owns the barn assumes that she is one of many wealthy horse in wealthy horse enthusiasts. Wow. Tongue twister, but I did it. (laughs) Who is looking to spend the winter in Florida with her horses. So he sets up the lease. He runs through the barn. Like everything seems like it's going well, (laughs) but it is not long before Dr. Kathy, as I'm going to be calling our vet lady starts behaving a little weirdly. She gets all of her horses moved into the barn and this is Florida. So it's like, I think it's winter there but it's still warm yeah but she has all of her horses like bundled up in these like thick horse blankets at all times i don't think the horses need and i don't think the horses probably didn't like that that much but whatever they're kind of wimpy animals we now know (laughs) yeah clearly and so remember all the people in this area are part of like this elite horse lifestyle so they're all pretty like posh and like where we like horses and that's just the vibe i'm getting from them So from the outside, Dr. Kathy looks like she fits in. She looks the part. She owns a very like chic townhouse in the area. She's like blonde. She has a white Land Rover. Um, She, in a very ridiculous way, has a customized license plate that says, I play doctor on it. (laughs) Stop. You're a vet lady. (laughs) Chill. Okay. Um, her demeanor and manners, however, are the opposite of posh. She's kind of, I would describe her as being pretty rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, when a neighbor walks onto the barn's property, she harasses them until they leave. Ah. And another time she starts screaming at these like pedestrians who are walking on. 
it was like a public access trail. So people could walk on it. It was, it was not hers that was around the barn's property. She's like, get off. She's screaming at them. They're going to scare my horses. Just like very ridiculous. Maybe get your horses some therapy or something. Exactly. So one of the most bizarre things that Dr. Kathy was up to had to do with her own horses. Um, Some of them had white markings on them and Sohail, who owned the property and other people saw her covering up the white markings on her horses with hair dye and rust-oleum. Which is which is paint. It's like spray paint. It's regular paint. Like not meant for horses. No. (laughs) So this is a quote from the barn owner. He said, one day I went out to the barn and found her putting rust-oleum paint on the horse's face with a brush. (laughs) Now that just doesn't make sense. I'm no expert on horses, but I know what rust-oleum is for and it's not for horses. It just makes me laugh. Painting <laughs> a horse's face. Like, yep. what? Okay. But I love how he's like, I'm not an expert on horses, but this is not, that's not where it yeah. is, lady. <laughs> but I don't think you should paint a horse's face. I mean, I don't know anything, but. So she's like, I guess inoffensive in most ways, besides screaming at people, painting horses. Yeah. Just Other than that, Karen. really, just a weird Karen. Yeah. If you see a picture of her, you're like, Karen. Karen. So in early February of 2003, Soel notices that he hasn't seen Dr. Kathy at the stables for a few days. I assumed he either lived nearby or was like monitoring his barns, but like he was pretty aware of what was going on mm-hmm. there. So he got worried about the horses, noticing that they didn't have any food or water for several days and were being neglected. So he went into the barns and he brought them some water and some oats to eat. So as Soel was feeding them, he noticed that this was the first time he'd seen any of Dr. Kathy's horses, not all bundled up in blankets. He's like, this is weird. Like I'm seeing these naked horses. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Scandalous. So something that stuck out to him was that a dark gray gelding. And because I am not a horse girl, I did not know what that was. So I Googled it and then immediately regretted it. (laughs) (laughs) because I learned that a gelding is a castrated horse. And then that made me sad because I'm like, that seems cruel. Don't, why do you need to do that? Anyways, I shouldn't have looked it up. I should have just stayed ignorant, but whatever. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So anyways, on this gray horse, he noticed it had a brand on its flank. So he's like, yeah, apparently that's common among some horses, but he just thought it was kind of a unique thing. He's like, hmm, what is this? So for the past six weeks, the town of Wellington had been papered in missing flyers for a stolen horse named San Diego. So shout out. (laughs) This horse had been taken from a nearby paddock in Wellington on January 22nd, 2003. And its breed of horse was an Oldenburg, which is apparently Mm -hmm. like a very exclusive breed. And this horse particularly had been worth (gasps) $100,000, which seems ridiculous. It's going to die in like 10 years. And also it's going to be so expensive for the 10 years that you have it. Yes. No, absolutely not. Um, On this missing poster, it also noted that the horse had an Oldenburg brand on its left flank, kind of signifying what breed it was. And Mm -hmm. just to identify this like particular, very expensive horse. 
And so he's like, hmm, he's thinking about it. This guy is a real, he's a great detective. He said he had a napkin on him. And so he draws a picture of what the horse's brand looks like and is like comparing it to the poster. He's like, oh yes, this is the same horse. horse. So good detective work. So Al, Um, he realizes also that this horse that he sees in his barn is identical to San Diego. So with this information, he then calls San Diego's owner, Ron Esposito. So Ron shows up at the stable to look at the horse and he immediately recognizes like, yep, this is my horse. Mm -hmm. He said he was also familiar with Dr. Kathy. So Ron says, she stopped here the day after he was stolen, started asking me all kinds of questions. I thought she was just a concerned neighbor. She was really trying to find out what she had stolen. So this lady was like fishing around to be like, oh, stole this horse. Like, hmm, how much is it worth? Oh, Oh, she was so clever. Oh, so sad. So he's like, okay, (laughs) it's clear what has happened here. Yeah. So interestingly, as Ron's looking at his horse, he starts looking at Dr. Kathy's other horses in the barn. Um, he recognizes another one. This one is a bay gelding named Scooby-Doo, which I love as a horse Aww, name. <laughs> so cute. Scooby-Doo. And he recognizes it from a picture on a website called Net Posse, which apparently was dedicated to repatriating stolen horses. It's very specific, but I'm sure he was very familiar with this website trying to find his horse. So Scooby-Doo had been stolen from Illinois, which put two and two together. That was Dr. Kathy's home state. It's where she was from. So also in the missing poster, it was just, it was very funny to me because it was kind of like crudely made of like, this is 2003. We don't know how to work a computer. (laughs) But it was just a picture of Scooby-Doo the horse looking at the camera and had this sad little caption of, I want to go home, (laughs) right under it. (laughs) Uh, That's something an old person would make. I know. (laughs) Um, It also had a picture of the horse and said $5,000 reward if you found it. So, hmm. nice. So, of course, Ron and Sohail are like, okay, this horse has been stolen. We have another stolen horse here. They immediately report the horse rustling operation to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department. Ugh, horse rustling. What an eight, like 19th crime. Yes. <laughs> um, very interesting to me. This department, police department had a very niche animal crimes unit. I don't know if that's common, what? but me, <laughs> but it said they well, reported it, it to the animal crime unit. <laughs> I guess Okay, to me, that's two things, like either abuse or like cruelty against yeah. animals, but animal yeah. cries because of like people dealing animals. <laughs> I know. <laughs> horse wrestling. Yeah, horse wrestling. Cows. Oh my God. Stealing, cow tipping. Like, <laughs> <Cow> tiffin. <laughs> that's what I think. I love it. <laughs> so, um, like all good sting operations, they decide they need to set up a trap for Dr. Kathy. So, trying to lure her back to the barn. So they have Soelle leave a message on her phone saying, one of your horses is sick. You need to come back to the barn right away. So of course she shows up, she's arrested. Oh, I, I guess she that... was dead. What? You I thought she was dead? dead? Cause she hadn't shown up to feed her horses. Oh, well like, oh, you'll see what's up. <laughs> okay, okay. So Dr. Kathy does not resist arrest, but she starts to become very angry and very like unruly and belligerent once they get her to the actual jail. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's when it becomes more real to her. What has happened when she's there, she spits at a fellow inmate and unsuccessfully tries to drown herself in the toilet, which is what the fuck? not a way to go. Kathy. No. <laughs> so of course this is the small, like tight knit community. I'm sure they love gossip. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you? Because horse, yeah. horses are boring. Let's be honest. You need something yeah. else in your life. So the community is absolutely losing their minds over this because people knew her. Like she was involved in their social circles. She was known among the horse people. <laughs> so although the attempted toilet suicide and the horse theft was drama enough, what these horse people were really most appalled by was the fact that she had painted her horses basically they're like animal abuser (laughs) this is the worst crime of all so (laughs) one of them said what makes it shameful is that she would paint the horses with toxic paint (laughs) oh my god like no it's not good but i think it's not as bad as stealing (laughs) other people's pets zach stealing someone's one hundred thousand dollar horse yeah like i think that's the bad part of it okay yeah wash the paint off and they'll probably be okay yeah uh people also seem pretty confused why she had stolen the horses in the first place because Mm -hmm. like financially she was fine she didn't seem to need the money and she wasn't doing it to like oh get notoriety in in the horse Mm -hmm. circle like people knew her she was like she was one of them yeah so they're like well why did she do this maybe she just coveted the horse or something i don't know but looking more into her background it turns out that this was not dr kathy's first theft and in fact like basically kleptomania was almost like one of her hobbies she was just would just regularly steal things it was her thing okay interesting so until recently she had also had a third stolen horse named Keller in her possession that she had horse snapped from Illinois. (laughs) So she was just stealing right and left. Keller was worth not as expensive as San Diego, but it was worth $50,000. Apparently she didn't know how much it was worth. She hadn't done her background research. So she sold it for a lot cheaper, just like someone else who was trying to buy a horse. So they got a great deal. (laughs) I think ultimately Keller was able to go back to his owner, but like not cool, Dr. Kathy. Also what happens in that case? Like you bought horse yeah like i know a thousand dollars probably more but yeah then suddenly they're like oh well it's not your horse you have to give it back also you're out (laughs) of all the money you spent because you gave it to a a thief so (laughs) sorry like i'm so i don't know but that's ridiculous so earlier that winter dr kathy had also been arrested for stealing some home goods from the 12 oaks market in delray beach florida She had stolen $3,000 worth of teakwood furniture, pottery, and orchids. How? (laughs) That's what I wrote. I wrote how, question marks. (laughs) What, you just like keep walking out with a chair every now and again? Okay, so I looked it up. This place is like a little like fancy boutique. How do you steal like big teakwood furniture from it? How are you just walking out with yeah. orchids and pottery and whatever? Yeah. Was she like, oh, I'm here to like pick up a delivery? No, that doesn't make sense to me at all. And later they interview one of, I think it was the owner of this boutique. Like, 
mm-hmm. was talking to a newspaper. She's like, my son is so scared. He can't sleep at night. He's scared of Dr. Kathy. <laughs> I'm what? like, okay, chill. <laughs> yeah, come on now. <laughs> you take my team boy photo drive. Come on. Dude. Like your, your child is scared yeah. of this thing. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. So while this was being investigated and all these stolen items were being retrieved from her house, they also happened to find a stolen horse trailer on her property, which is like, how do you steal a horse trailer? (laughs) Seriously, she's stealing massive things, apparently all on her own. And also, when they opened the stolen horse trailer, they found $20,000 worth of stolen leather saddles, which saddles are clearly overpriced. (laughs) Yes. What? Oh, my God. I'm just disgusted. A saddle is just like a piece of leather. I know. We're we're not disgusted at the theft. We're disgusted at how overpriced this cheap wood was. The economy. (laughs) The economy of horse stuff. Uh, Yes, exactly. Interesting. So as it turns out, when she was earlier arrested for the 12 Oaks little like home goods theft, Mm -hmm. she wasn't immediately able to pay her bail, which was why she hadn't been able to go feed her horses for a few days. So when you thought she was dead, she was just chilling in jail. In jail. (laughs) So things really are spiraling for Dr. Kathy here. Because as we know, like she gets arrested for stealing blah 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 other stuff and then doesn't show up for the horses then they find out about the stolen horses so it's just going downhill Mm -hmm. for her so as for her second arrest dr kathy is charged with grand theft and animal cruelty so at first we're like oh you paid a horse whatever no big deal yeah but apparently the horses she had painted with rust-oleum it had been very caustic to them so they had like (gasps) swelling and like their skin was blistering so the poor little horsies were really suffering also you're a vet you know better than this (laughs) ridiculous i mean i still think they'll recover i still think the ceiling them is the horses lived they did not they did not succumb to their paint related injuries that's still not okay um also when they had her did a post-arrest interview with her what she said was very interesting so she admitted that she stole scooby-doo from illinois which sounds funny (laughs) she stole (laughs) scooby-doo she said the two other stolen horses keller and san diego who had a combined worth of $150,000, had just been wandering around. She thought they were feral horses and she wanted to take them in. <laughs> oh yeah, feral branded horses. Oops. <laughs> she said she thought she was doing an act of kindness by rescuing and sheltering them. Of course. <laughs> you know, this fancy like horse town where horses are just wandering yeah. willy-nilly. Like All she just found them. <laughs> Florida. I know. Okay. So the police are like, uh-huh, okay. But then out of nowhere, we get our most interesting twist in the story. Dr. Kathy says that her seemingly like out of character, weird behavior, all of her crimes are because she's under a lot of emotional pressure because she is, according to her, the prime suspect in a murder cold case. And the pressure she's getting from law enforcement is just too much. That's what's happening. She's like too stressed out. Did she tell this to police? Yes. Okay. And so they're like, uh-huh. Oh, interesting. So of course they have to look into that more. Mm-hmm. So that was the first phase of our story. That was part okay. one. We're getting into part two. Okay. So the next person I wanted to introduce to you is a woman named Maria Khalil. Mm-hmm. 
She is a first-year veterinary student at the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine at their Urbana campus, and she is 21 years old. So this are the first part was happening in the early 2000s. We're going a little back in time here to the 80s, 1988 specifically. So on March 5th, Maria is tending to a foal that was born prematurely and had a lot of medical complications. She loved animals and all of her friends would say she would treat ponies better than she would treat a baby, which I don't know what that means. Yeah. What what does she do to babies? Kick a baby. No. I'm so scared for, for any babies in her presence. Oh my God. Okay. Um, so Maria though, like everyone's obsessed with her. She is like a superstar. She's like perfect in every way, like that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So she grew up a very wealthy socialite. A friend described her as close to a 10 as you can get, which is in the event of my death, that's how you need to report me to newspapers. Okay. As close to but a 10 as you can get. <laughs> what is, wouldn't you just be like, she was a 10? What is he trying to say though? Like, I don't she know. She was as close to a 10 as she could be, but she had this mole. 9.8. Yeah, I'd put her at 9.8, you know, not a 10. <laughs> <laughs> she was too much of a horse girl to be like, yeah, too much of a horse girl energy <laughs> took her down a couple notches, you know, but she's so close to 10. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah, so I would hype you up. I would tell, I would tell them you were 10. <laughs> yeah, I would also tell them you were 10. She, you know what? She wasn't close to it. She was, she was a 10 out of 10. Yes. So Maria's mom was a model and her dad was a very famous cosmetic surgeon. So she grew up like very wealthy, very much part of like this elite social circle. Mm-hmm. Um, also to like paint a picture of the kind of family she came from, one of the articles that I was reading went like described it very weirdly. They're like, she came from a very like elite family who dined with princes, collected exotic art and tracked gorillas in the jungles of Africa, which I'm like, this is a very niche what? kind of rich. Yes. <laughs> Gorilla what does tracking that mean? Rich. <laughs> <laughs> what do they do to the gorillas? Where they-, they just follow them around. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this wow this is really an insight into the fuckery that goes on (laughs) behind closed doors for rich people i mean exactly but apparently allegedly despite this very privileged lifestyle she grew up in maria was very humble she was hardworking and down to earth so when she was 20 years old she graduated with honors from brown university and then went to vet school at the university of illinois to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming an equine surgeon. So like horsey doctor, (laughs) which is okay. Interesting. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maria was also well-known at the Oak Brook Polo Club in Illinois, which of course she was, of course she was Mm -hmm. a polo girl. (laughs) Polo. And they, the polo club later issued a statement about her basically saying like, we love her. We love her family, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, the thing I find so charming about her is that so many kids today, especially when they're born to privileged families have no sense of the real world. This girl gave the impression that nothing was below her. So she was like in the grind, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so that's yeah, our well, background. Maria. Attempts at contributing to society. Emily. I know. I'm like, it, it must be easy to be like, 
down to earth, hardworking if you're like loaded. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because there's nothing, you're not hardworking. Like hard work is a hobby to you. Or it's like, oh my God, she do. graduated from Brown. She was so smart. Like, no, like <laughs> I'm sure yeah, she had connections. Exactly. Like I'm not saying she wasn't smart because clearly like she was and she was yeah. well-liked, but privilege affords you a lot of other privilege. Exactly. So look at that. There were probably a lot of people that were just as smart as her and just as hardworking yes. and down to earth, but their parents mm-hmm. didn't know anyone at Brown. So they didn't get in. Exactly. So Maria is apparently thriving her first year of vet school. There were 76 students in her class and 75 of them liked her. They had nothing to say except glowing reviews of Maria. One person, one of her vet school peers did not like her. Any guess on who this woman was? (laughs) Dr. Kathy. Yeah. Wow. Really? Her? Yep, a girl. At this time, her name was Kathy Mance, later to be known as Kathy Crichton. And Ooh. Kathy and Maria had a little feud go on. They did not like each other. <laughs> so there are a few different theories on how this feud started. Some say that Kathy had been cheating on an exam and Maria reported her for it, which sounds like a very Maria and Kathy move, to be honest. Yes, <laughs> it does. Um, others thought that they didn't like each other just because of jealousy. So Kathy's like, oh my God, Maria is so jealous of me because of what a great equestrian I am. But I think it was more <laughs> likely that Kathy hated Maria because she was like popular and rich and like pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so they had a little feud, a little beef between these ladies. <laughs> so that was the background on Maria and their vet school situation. So in March of 1998, Maria's taking care of her little pony and um it dies later on um spoiler alert (laughs) um and she goes out afterwards to meet some friends they go like get a few drinks go get a pizza and at 1 30 a.m a friend drives maria home to her apartment which she shared with a few roommates and the building was pretty much all student housing there was no lock on the outside of the building, but each apartment itself had a bolt lock. And people said Maria was very security conscious. She like always was like obsessive about locking her door. One of her roommates, like if I even walked down the hall for like a few minutes, she would scream. She'd be like, lock it. <laughs> like, okay. okay. So I guess that was proof. Maria liked to lock her doors. So we don't really know what happened over the next two hours, but looking back on it, it looked like Maria had slept in her bed. Like the blankets were all rumpled up. Like she had just slept there. And at 3.28 AM, someone else who lived in the apartment on the second floor, um, and she lived on the third floor. So this is, Mm -hmm. you could hear something happening above him. So he thought a burglary was happening. There was kind of, he heard a scream. So he called the police. Two minutes later, a different neighbor discovered Maria laying in the hallway of the third floor, her nightgown covered in blood. She was still like semi-conscious, but she was clearly like bleeding a lot from her chest. So the neighbor called 911 and within a few minutes, a police cruiser and an ambulance showed up. So she was still conscious at that point, kind of floating in and out. And she wasn't really saying anything. She was kind of like mumbling to herself, but she said Mm -hmm. she was scared of, she was scared she was going to die. So she was taken to a nearby hospital and sadly Maria Khalil passed away at 5:22 a.m. and she had been oh. that was while she was undergoing emergency surgery. So it was it was sad. She got stabbed. 
Um, the cause of her death was a single six inch stab wound that someone had hit part of her aorta. And apparently it's very rare to actually die from a single stab wound. Like pretty yeah, much most say. stabbing deaths, it's like repeatedly. And I would think it's just like blood loss, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they said either this was kind of like a fluke, it just happened to hit like a specific place mm-hmm. in her heart, or the stabber had knew a lot about anatomy. So oh. interesting. So Maria had no evidence of sexual assault. She didn't have any defensive wounds. So the police surmised that this probably wasn't a burglary, like a burglary gone wrong or something, mm-hmm. because nothing was taken and none of her apartment was disturbed. Um, They searched the apartment for evidence and they didn't find anything out of place. I don't think they found any weird fingerprints or anything like that. And no sign of forced entry. The only evidence they did find was a bunch of foreign fibers on Maria's nightgown that didn't belong to her or to any of her roommates. Um, Also, as part of the investigation, they interviewed all of her vet school classmates. Everyone was very cooperative with the exception of one student. (laughs) I wonder who it was. I wonder who it was. Her sworn nemesis, Kathy. Kathy. So, Kathy, that little, that wily cat. So, the only information that Kathy gave was that she had been with her boyfriend that night. Her boyfriend corroborated her story. He's like, yeah, we were together. But then both of them were like, they zip it up real quick. They're like, I'm not saying anything else. They were not cooperative. (laughs) And they said when they tried to talk to Kathy further about it, because she was like pretty much the only known nemesis of Maria. Like everyone else loved yeah. her. They had nothing bad to say except Kathy. So they said she went ballistic anytime they tried to talk to her, had any communication with her. Um, you said that? Yes. That was their official term. Kathy went ballistic. <laughs> okay. Um, Kathy Mance then changed her name to Kathy Crichton and transferred schools to a vet program in Mississippi. Right after this, so looking a little suspicious. Very suspicious. So at this point, the murder case more or less goes cold. Kathy and Maria's ex-boyfriend are both on the suspect list, but they're at this time or until now, there was never really conclusive enough evidence to link anyone to the case. So like Mm -hmm. they basically had no physical evidence from the scene to go off of. There was no murder weapon. There was no really pretty much no one who would have a reason to harm her. Besides so, these two people, and even yes. then, it's like kind of iffy. I know they seem kind of like both more or less like long shots. Yeah. So that's what happened in Illinois. Kind of skip forward a little bit back to 2003. Dr. Kathy is not in a great place. She is released on bail from her animal cruelty and animal theft charges. <laughs> she is also known as the Rustolium Rustler. <laughs> Which I love the alliteration there. <laughs> Rustolium Rustler. Rustolium Rustler. Um, a lot of people who knew her said she was very angry. She seemed very vindictive. She wanted to like get mm-hmm. back at anyone who wronged her. So within six months of getting out, a police officer was patrolling her neighborhood. He saw that Dr. Kathy had a bunch of new potted plants, flowers, and wind chimes. So also, this is a small town. Everyone knows what Dr. Kathy's been up to. Uh, yeah, I was going to so say, like, like hmm. imagine noticing, like, wow, hmm. Got a new plant, a new wind chime. Wind chime. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> so he knows her history. He kind of, like, walks on up and it's like, hey, 
what's up? She's like, oh, I'm just a perennial manic gardener. <laughs> okay, Kathy. We see. Um, yes. And I love the article I was reading about this on. It says, more like perennial manic thief. <laughs> 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 so, yes, she had stolen all of this from the nearby Green Gate Nursery. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was just, just you don't need this stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, even more egregious. She did not only steal like plants and wind chimes. She stole the greenhouse owner's cat. <laughs> what? Why A little cat named Rusty. Cats? She just stole straight up stole Rusty from the greenhouse. That's rude. Yeah. So clearly Rusty was returned to his owners as was all the other stolen stuff, but like, come on. (laughs) So part of me thinks like she's just has out of control kleptomania. Like she really can't stop herself. No, I feel like when it gets to the point where you're stealing pets, stealing somehow stealing the cat is more bizarre than stealing a horse. The horse, at least you're like, this has value. A cat is just like, I'm just taking you. I want you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The horse, you'd be like, oh, well, she wanted to sell it. Status symbol. Like the reason people usually steal things. (laughs) The cat is just Poor little Rusty. (laughs) Yeah. So not a great look. They caught on pretty quick of what was going on here. So she eventually pleaded guilty to 13 charges after this, including felony cruelty to animals, grand theft, and burglary. And she was fined $100,000 in restitution and sentenced to two years of house arrest, followed by eight years of probation. Okay, there's a a few parts of this that I wanted to make note on because they made me angry. Basically, she's committed all these crimes and never once does she serve serve time behind bars. Yeah. Like she she spent like the night in jail, but like she gets out because she's like a rich white woman. So they're just like, Mm -hmm. okay. They're like anyone else if you were accused of like crimes of this magnitude, like animal cruelty, stealing very expensive animals and like all this property, you would be in jail for that. Yes. Um, the other thing is apparently once she completed her probation, her, in, the deal was that her entire record would be adjourned in comp- in contemplation of dismissal. So that means they would erase her criminal record. So she would not oh, be a convicted what? felon. Yes, that's not how it's not how it works for other people. Oh my god, the audacity. Exactly. Not that this is her fault, but like she is benefiting exactly. from the system in a way she should not be allowed to. Exactly. And this was also baffling to me. Despite her guilty plea on a felony animal cruelty charge. She was allowed to keep her vet license. She was still a practicing vet. Like, um, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. They're giving her every opportunity to yes. succeed here, and she still and F's it up, what though. <laughs> for what reason? Like, no reason. She's not even a nice woman. She, like, no. yells at pedestrians for walking. She's literally just white. That's the entire thing. Doesn't that? Okay, yes. I had to preface that with the fact that those three things made me very angry. Yeah. But, of course, Dr. Kathy cannot follow through with the terms of her probation. Basically, as soon as she gets out, she goes into, like, this online chat room 
basically going, writing these long posts about how she's the victim of this somehow. She's mm-hmm. the victim of like the murder charge, the theft charge. Like it's all like in conspiracy against me, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So not a great look for her. In 2008, she was arrested for drunk driving. She was also under the influence of an unnamed controlled substance, uh, most likely something that was like an animal, animal medication. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, she consumed an animal. <laughs> I was like, what kind of animal? Yummy. To, to be a chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a better story. Sorry. Yeah, she consumed a chameleon. It was <laughs> um, so as per usual, though, she's been, she has like this unnamed controlled substance. She's drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Um, her probation is not revoked and her license to prescribe narcotics as a vet is still not suspended. So, oh my God. Yep, getting another white lady privilege. Come on. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like, what did she have to do? Kill someone? But apparently, she already did, and she still gets every mm-hmm. chance in the world. Yep. And finally, as part of her plea agreement on the animal cruelty charges, she had agreed to not own a pet for two years. Basically, they're like, mm-hmm. yes, you abused animals in the past. You're not getting a pet. But in two years, um, I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll you'll be fine by then. She agrees to this initially, but then after the fact, she's unable to abide by this. This seems like a very basic rule. She should be able to hang in there for two years without a pet. Yeah. Nope. She successfully convinced them to let her get a pet dog. And so then she gets a dog right away. <laughs> it, so how does she have ridiculous. time to take care of pets when she's so busy stealing exactly. and doing drugs? Like I don't know. So in 2015, a big clue comes out in the Maria Khalil murder case. I don't really, they paint as like, oh my God, this big discovery. I don't think it is. The Mm -hmm. Illinois police, they said they released the full transcript of the last words Maria had said as she was dialing. So they believed it wasn't totally clear. She was like, obviously had severe blood loss and was yeah. like in and out of consciousness. They thought she said, I can't believe he did this to me. So therefore they said this insinuated that her attacker was a male. Yeah. Therefore clearing Dr. Kathy of the crime. I think he or she like, that would be hard to tell the difference. So I guess ultimately where we leave off the Maria Khalil case, we don't know who killed her it's it's kind of unresolved honestly i think dr kathy had something to do with it because she was like clearly feeling very guilty about all of this and ultimately before her name had been cleared dr kathy died by suicide in 2010 i don't think that that necessarily is an admission of her guilt but i mm-hmm. don't think she was totally innocent in that crime so maybe one either. day we will find out who killed maria it seems very suspicious that her one nemesis in the world is this like crazy lady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the article that I was reading about this, the author juxtaposed legacies of Kathy Maria. So about Maria, her dad said she left behind her a memory so bright, not all the darkness in the world could dim it. And mm-hmm. then they had a quote that somebody said about Dr. Kathy, this was the owner of one of the people she had stolen a horse from. So clearly they didn't like her, but they said, Dr. Crichton went from nice and personable to absolute evil. I was afraid of her. So 
interpret that how you'd like. Personally, I do think Dr. Kathy was, um, even if she wasn't proven to have been involved in this murder, I think she had something to do with it. And that is the end of our crazy horse girl story. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I was researching. I was trying to find um, a picture of Maria Khalil or Dr. Uh-huh. Kathy. And I looked up Dr. Kathy Horsey because I couldn't find her by searching her name. And yeah. A restaurant called Horsey Barbecue. <laughs> Wait, that's sick. It makes it sound like you stole a horse to eat. <laughs> like, mm, come eat some stolen horses. <laughs> horrifying oh wow. my god well, yeah i definitely think she was involved in maria khalil's murder as well don't you it seems very suspicious it's suspicious as fuck like the coincidences are all there yeah like i can't believe he did this to me i mean she was also like unconscious like i don't know i don't know i think yeah and like who's to say like dr kathy's boyfriend at that time wasn't <laughs> exactly exactly that they like did it together or something and then they were like we won't mm-hmm. tell anyone i don't know man yes i'll send you a picture of dr kathy and then you can okay, tell thank me thank you if you think she looks like a karen to you <laughs> and also send me a picture of maria khalil because i can yes. find her either. <laughs> um i just wanted to end your story by saying best roommate um in college our freshman year we both had Mm -hmm. terrible roommates that's a story for another podcast but (laughs) her first year roommate was a rich horse girl oh my god and man was she weird i won't tell the stories of the things she did because they're not my stories to tell they happen to best Mm -hmm. um but she was very weird and not not good we Oh no. my gosh. Uh-uh. So that's all. You I'll should say. you should get Bess on the podcast at one point and have her share <laughs> crazy horse girl stories. <laughs> I think the only one I'll share that Bess would be okay with me sharing, I would I would think, was um she would buy or be sent, I don't know, these mm-hmm. like big, like think Costco size tubs of Jolly Ranchers. What? And that's too much candy for Yeah. <laughs> um, and she didn't like a flavor. I think it was the blue ones, maybe uh-huh. blue or red that she didn't like. So she would just throw them at Bess. Like it what? started, I think, as a joke of like, hey, yeah. you want this Jolly Rancher? And like threw it at her. And Bess was like, Yeah, you know, whatever. And then it turned into every time she was eating Jolly Rancher, she would literally like pelt a Bess. <laughs> What? With Jolly Ranchers. I would be like, nah. Or I'd buy a tennis <laughs> racket and whack them back. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, I would love to have seen her reaction to that. Mm-hmm. So I got the pictures. Yes. Oh, Kathy's the first pretty. one. Maria's very pretty. Kathy's looking a little haggard, but Kathy's not. That's what happens in your mugshot, you know? Yeah, Kathy's eyes are scary. Doesn't she look like the kind of lady who'd be very into horses and go like scream at pedestrians? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Aw. Maria was so pretty. I know. So rest in peace, Maria. Um, yeah, rest in peace. If Kathy had nothing to do with this, I know you still hated her, so I don't really feel bad about what I said. Exactly. <laughs> Here we go. So. Also, she's dead, so she can't be like, oh, you accuse me of something. Okay, like the, the horse theft and horse painting, that would have been enough of a crime as it was, and then how she's like, I, well, sorry, I, I cracked because I'm I'm a murder suspect. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> what? Excuse me? This? Yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Oh, also, I, I looked up if horses do have to be killed if they're do uh, they like breaks and yes uh-huh. they do. 
Um, they absolutely do. And apparently, like now, there's some advances that allow some horses to be saved. But yeah, if they break a leg, they have to die. Okay. Um, one time I saw a two legged dog with wheels on it. So, like, right? a horse can I don't live. Know Come what's on. up with horses? <laughs> um, oh, the problem is because their bones have become lighter. The fuck? Now I'm what? reading about horses. <laughs> I really don't care about them that much. That was what I Googled about a, a gelding or gelding, whatever it is oh, called. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Didn't want to know oh. that. <laughs> okay, so apparently they've been like evolutionally bred to be very strong to carry, like their bones are strong but very light. So if they break, most of the time they'll like shatter. And so they can't oh be God. repaired. They can't, you know, you can't put it in the cast. It's just like broken forever. Um, and so he says that also sometimes like it will bend before and it will break. Mm-hmm. And then that bend shape is preserved in the pieces. So even if you put the pieces back together, they'd be healed incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, they're just like, you, it, it won't be able to heal ever. Mm-hmm. And so the, like, sometimes the blood supply is damaged to the leg as well. So they're just like, and it can lead to this thing called laminitis that could kill mm-hmm. them. So they're like, eh, just kill it, basically. Oh, my God. Oh, also, the reason they can't, like, dogs, you know how dogs can, like, lose a leg and they'll be fine. Yeah. Um, the, like, they have this thing called laminae on mm-hmm. their hoofs, like, the, on the place that attaches their leg to their hoof. Yeah. And it's strong enough to support the horse's weight because horses are really heavy between the four. But when a horse breaks one of those legs and it has to support itself on the other three, mm-hmm. the burden of all that weight on just three legs creates problems for that like area between the hoof and the leg. Mm-hmm. And so it affects the blood supply and it causes like at least a necrosis in the, in the hoofs. Ew. And so that's, they'll just die eventually either or they'll be in pain for like Mm -hmm. months and months and months of time until the leg heals if the leg heals correctly so that's so maybe like killing them is the most humane thing then yes that's what they say they say that like when considering whether you should try to save the horse or just kill it you should also Mm -hmm. consider the amount of pain they'll be in and for how long and whether or not the end result will be will have been worth it for the horse poor little windy-legged animals they're killed so horse facts for you today wow you're you heard it here first probably not (laughs) if we were ever if we were ever in vet school everyone would hate us because we'd be like this animal's so wimpy like oh my god stupid horse (laughs) or then they'd show us a picture of like an animal surgery we'd be like ew Ew. i would have to do i wanted to be a vet until i saw this episode of like pet ER or something on the animal plant when I was a kid where they had to make a dog throw up because it ate too much chocolate and I was like okay I'm not gonna do that ever so hard pass wow you got more career options for me <laughs> art is it <laughs> yeah art it is okay um okay nice case. segue into your case yes. you preface this case by telling me it's obnoxiously Californian so I'm excited <laughs> it is get ready to hear some of my high school drama yes up. please this is the case that did it please and thank you okay so Chris Smith was born in Santa Cruz, California, and I could not find his exact date of birth, but it was sometime probably around 1980 because he was 30 in 2010. 
Makes sense. When most of this case um, happens. So 79, 80, 81 around that. Um, he was naturally drawn to water sports. Santa Cruz is known for its surfing and wakeboarding and things like that, right? So um, I wrote, this was kind of a given seeing as he lived near the beach, one of the state's most popular surfing destinations. But I live near the beach. <laughs> one of the most popular surfing <laughs> totally destinations. <laughs> and I have never served a day in my life and I don't really like the beach that much. So <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, so he became a professional wakeboarder in his mm-hmm. youth, but his career. Me too. No. <laughs> same. Uh, his career ended once he blew out his Achilles tendon. I don't want to know how right. that happens when you're yeah, wakeboarding. Yeah, we're not, not going to think about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there we go. So now he's kind of like adrift. I think he was in his, he graduated from high school. So he was in like his late teens, early twenties. So Smith decided the next logical step was to become a technology entrepreneur. You know, as, as one does. Interesting. Technology entrepreneur. Yeah, I can, I can see the link. Of course. So his ultimate goal uh, was to make enough money to live comfortably off the grid as he was, and I mean this with as little offense to the dead as possible, <laughs> the kind of person who would today be into QAnon conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, so. I yes. can see it. He, and this wasn't like two, the 2000s, okay? This wasn't even now. He told his family and friends that people, quote, too often behave like cows, plodding through life, Doubly believing the government's lies, swallowing big pharma's poisons, and ignoring obvious conspiracies around them. He called this phenomenon, <laughs> quote, the moo. Wait, so, the what? The moo. <laughs> That's what he called it. He would like, like talk a cow? to people. Yes. <laughs> so instead of sheeple, he his thing was cows. We're all we're all moos, moo. basically. I Yeah, moo. Come on. Yes. Yeah, so he was. You can tell what type of person he was, oh, right? Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, and I agree go, with your assumption. Yes, I'm not going to go more into it. I know with absolute fact he would have voted for Trump, called COVID a pandemic, and have yep. been an anti-masker and anti-vaxxer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, he was convinced that big corporations sucked, which is true, and that the government strangled liberty. And in quotes, I wrote specifically in America and other capitalist countries. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And he also believed that the U.S. was heading towards economic collapse. Yes, mm-hmm. he was right about that. One. I second that. I'll give him that. Um, so his plan was to get rich. He would make smart investments. He invested heavily in gold, which is another, I think, very like right wing thing to do. <laughs> gold, gold is forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he invested heavily in gold. or He wanted to invest in gold and move somewhere remote like Tahiti, you know, where he could be near the water and stuff and just kind of spend his, the rest of his life traveling, just like Mm -hmm. fucking around, I guess. So in 2004, a wealthy friend of his told him that he owned a warehouse full of crap that I guess he just gave to Chris (laughs) or like sold it to him. I don't really know. But regardless, Chris took ownership of the crap in that warehouse and began selling it at flea markets. And he didn't make too much money off this, obviously, because he was selling it at flea markets. But yeah, it gave him the idea to create a search engine specifically for wholesale shoppers. So this was like in the early days of the Internet, I guess. This was a new idea yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. It was called localprofit.com. And at its peak in 2006, it was netting Chris as much uh, as $72,000 a month. What? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. Okay, sir. (laughs) Exactly. People who got in at the beginning of like the, the dot-com craze and the internet and computers are Mm -hmm. ridiculously wealthy right now. And it isn't fair because they've just had the luck of being born at the right time. So, yeah. And we were born at the worst time possible, apparently. So anyway, hmm. uh, he also created a social networking site for surfers called Swellster that never took off. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Swellster. Swellster. Um, eventually after his success with localprofit.com, Chris decided to move to Southern California to try to start broadening his network, making connections. Specifically, he wanted to go into advertising and marketing now. So in 2008, he met a man named Edward Shin, who went by Ed, and the two became business partners. Ed Shin was, in many ways, Chris's opposite. He had grown up in Orange County, and uh, growing up, he played the violin, joined the key club, played golf in high school, and that, I don't know why that brought back, like, a memory of high school. Where, like, of when you played us, golf in high school? <laughs> when I played golf and violin and joined clubs because I thought they'd get me into college. Like, it just brought up this weird, I knew so many people like him. I was one of those kids. Yeah. Like, he had immigrant parents. I had immigrant parents. They were like, you need to do the absolute most to get into this college. Yeah. And once you get into college, your life is going to be set. And guess what? Guess what? It wasn't. What? Oh, my also, God. Also, a lot of these people were terrible people. Like, I can't think of a single person that I knew in high school. Well, maybe not terrible, but just I volunteered. Do you think I cared? I didn't care. I was volunteering <laughs> because I cared. I was 16. It would much rather. You were doing be like, it for your college apps. <laughs> I was doing it for college apps. I, I was not doing it because I cared about my local libraries, frankly. Like, I do now. Obviously, uh-huh. you know, you're teenagers. I'm not saying that we were terrible and, and compassionate people, but all the people I knew who were doing the absolute most, they were doing it solely with the purpose of getting into their, quote, dream school. I mean, most of us didn't get into our dream school and we didn't do that out of the kindness of our hearts. We did it to put on resumes yeah. and it was just terrible. And it, I know it just brought this flashback of like being a senior, a junior and senior in college. Mm-hmm. And, and just trying to like, yeah, just like prove yourself. I had, they thought I had ulcers with the stress I was under when I was like 15, 16 years old. It was terrible. Did you? No, well, I had chronic gastritis, which Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know that it was caused by stress because I've been much more stressed in other periods of my life and it hasn't come back, but (laughs) regardless. So anyway, they just brought flashbacks and I hated it. So he, after he graduated high school, he went on to UCSD. So UC San Diego, he was nearby and he went on to become the president of the Sigma Alpha Epsilon frat. Oh, of course he did. Yep. Triggered memories. I'm like, of course you joined a frat. And if you want to know our thoughts on frats, listen to one of our past episodes. Yes. Um, What about Sonda Diak? Because we go off. (laughs) We do. Uh, They were... S-E-S-A-E was also at Tulane, and uh-huh. I also hated them. I hated all frats, but there were some that I hated specifically. They would have a party every year at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year called U-S-A-E. Um, it was stupid and America-themed. And Ew. Why would you want anything to be America-themed? Exactly. That's sad. would be like a depressing. The, <laughs> they weren't even the racist frat, okay? Oh, like, they weren't the ones that were known for the racism. They weren't the ones who were selling people in the 80s? No, or build a Trump wall that made us get on national news for how fucking racist our school was. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't them. 
also Tulane has just continued to be uh, an anti-black festering shithole mm-hmm. and I just I can't mm-hmm. believe I graduated there and then I went there okay okay <laughs> I'm sorry I'm getting away from okay so he, he joined a frat and whatever um, after he graduated from college, he got married, he had three kids, and he was a prominent member of a Christian megachurch. So right now, red flags are just like streaming, Oh, wait, right? you just segued it real fast into he is the <laughs> part of a megachurch. <laughs> right, it's just the red flags when I was reading his little bio, yep. I'm like... The article was trying to present it as like he was like, oh, you know, like the All-American. I'm like, no, this is red So it's some people who see that as like... Okay, yes. A good American man. I see that as like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Was a president of a fraternity and joined a Christian megachurch? I'm sorry. Get away There's definitely me. like a very like heavily Republican sect of America. Mm-hmm. would be like, yes, living the dream, bruh. <laughs> no, that's a nightmare. He's living my nightmare. Just, <laughs> uh, so already I was like, I'm sorry, Ed. Well, no, I'm not sorry, but I don't trust you. Yeah. So. Neither. Despite their very different backgrounds and lifestyles, like Chris had graduated from high school, but he had struggled in high school. He'd never gone to college. The two did share very similar career goals. Mm-hmm. They both wanted to be technology entrepreneurs. Ew, so, both. Yeah. <laughs> In 2009, they launched a business together called 800 Exchange, which, and this will make sense given what I've just described Mm -hmm. about these two people, was an advertising and technology firm, which a focus on lead generation. So they would create ads like the kind that pop up on like news websites that Mm -hmm. say like refinance your mortgage and shit like that, right? Yeah having trouble with the IRS, you know, things like that. <laughs> and when people would click on them, they'd be prompted to put in their information. And so then, or call an 800 number, sorry, yeah. and leave their information. And then 800 exchange would then sell those leads to whoever had hired them to place those ads in the first place. Mm-hmm. So like mortgage companies, tax consolidators, whoever, right? Yeah, yeah. According to Ed, they had made $1 million in revenue five months into their venture. And by the third year, they were bringing in revenue of five to $8 million. And he said that 80% of that was all profit. Of course. Yeah. Whatever. They had like five employees. Mm -hmm. So I know maybe, but whatever. Uh, However, under the surface, not all was as it seemed. Ed for all his churchiness, was actually involved in an embezzlement dispute involving a former employer that was also a lead generation firm called LG Technologies. Okay. He had met Joseph Gray, the CEO of the company of LG, Mm -hmm. through The Nest, which was a church fellowship group called The Nest. it was. There's something about like... Cult vibes. Yes. There's something about L.A., Orange County mega churches that are more mm-hmm. disturbing than like regular mega churches because there's the added thing of celebrity yeah. and status in there that yeah. I don't think is present in other places. It's like a very West Coast, specifically LA, Orange County thing. That's an interesting point. I never and thought about that. Yeah. Why do you think Jeremy and Ginger went to LA? Because he wants he wants to be a mega pastor, but an LA mm-hmm. mega pastor because he wants to make it, you know? You know, that's the kind of person who gets like, they wear skinny jeans, they shave their heads on the sides and have like weird floppy hair on top. That's the vibe I'm getting. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No, that is the vibe. So the families had become friendly through the church and, you know, through this group and 
they were friendly enough, I guess. And I think Joseph was probably also wealthy enough that when he learned Ed was struggling financially, he helped him purchase a house. Damn, I want someone to help me purchase a house. <laughs> I'm guessing by like by lending him money, but I'm not I'm not sure. So anyway, uh, he also hired him at his company and he made him vice president. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. This is just how that. rich people promote richness. They just hire their friends. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. And then after he made him vice president, he was later president. Oh my god! I don't know. I don't know how this happened. I don't. I don't know. So anyway, uh, after he became president, <laughs> this is my favorite line from this article. Ed responded to Grace' helping hand by kicking him in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Love a great metaphor. So yeah, it, it is a great metaphor because soon after. Again, he'd been entry level into this company. He becomes mm-hmm. vice president, is promoted yep. to just full on president. He begins embezzling from LG. Um, Ed began doctoring account information mm-hmm. so that payments owed to LG went directly to his personal checking account. And that's bad, but it was not the first time he'd done something like this. Mm-hmm. In 2007, a publishing company that had printed a sports memorabilia magazine for Ed. So boring. Yes. Sports memorabilia? Like, not even sports. Memorabilia. The fuck? So they won a $117,000 judgment against Ed for unpaid Mm -hmm. bills. He, like, would do that. He just, like, wouldn't pay bills. Um, He was also alleged to have... Fleece. I don't know what they mean by this. The article used the word fleece. A World Series of Poker winner for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know if he like got him to loan it to him, saying he'd repay and never did. I don't know how it is that he took the money from him. But regardless, rumor was that this dude was so pissed that he considered having Ed murdered by a hitman, which mm-hmm. like same. So the rumors are likely true because even though Ed portrayed himself as a family man in Orange County, he also portrayed himself as a high roller in Vegas, where he visited frequently. (laughs) While visiting, he often acquired the services of a man named Tom Ramey, who says he, quote, arranges certain services that casinos wouldn't or couldn't provide for celebrities, (laughs) rich people, politicians, and so on. Wouldn't or couldn't. Wouldn't or couldn't. Yeah, so he says that Ed always behaves like an addict with deep pockets and that he once saw him lose $140,000 in one hour playing blackjack. <laughs> that is a special kind of skill at losing. <laughs> yes. Uh, court records from his embezzlement case show him writing at least $185,000 worth of checks to the Wynn Casino in Las Vegas in 2008 alone. But... Casinos loved him. They love this type of person because they have money to burn and they suck at playing games. So they will like, they would give him private jets to fly him and his friends to town, pay for his meals, entertainment and accommodations and everything just to keep him spending at their casinos. Like amazing. Think of how much money he was spending for it to be worth them to do all of that for him. Um, Ridiculous amount. Yeah. So Tom said that the primary service Ed bought from him was 
atmosphere modeling <laughs> where he would hire beautiful women to flock to him in clubs and basically just like hang around him. So the oh, illusion that's they so wanted, pathetic. Yes. The illusion they wanted to create is that he'd like come into a bar and women would be like, oh my God, it's Ed Shin and his friends. And like just be like, ah, Ed. Yeah. And he also said that Ed would hire him specifically when he brought along like business partners, for example, Chris Smith. Yeah. And that he would impress them by creating that illusion. And Tom says he wanted to create the illusion that women were just drawn to him and would be willing to fuck everybody there. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it's unclear whether Chris eventually realized that Ed was shady as fuck, but what we do know right now is that by 2010, um, so only like two years after they had first gone into business together, mm-hmm. Chris decided that he wanted to be bought out of their business and just leave it to Ed. He arranged to sell his stake in the business to Ed for a million dollars, and then he planned to use the money to travel around the world for a while. So in June of 2010, he emailed his family, letting them know that he and a woman named Tiffany, a former a former Playboy playmate he had met mm-hmm. while on one of Ed's Vegas trips, was going to sail around the world together. They had chartered a 45-foot yacht that came with a captain and a cook, and their first stop was South America. His family and friends were, like, a little surprised at how, you know, sudden this was, but like I said, Chris had been talking about doing this for a while. Like, it had always been his goal. Mm -hmm. So they were, like, a little surprised, but it wasn't, you know, a complete shock. So from then on, Chris began communicating with his loved ones via email, explaining that his frequent travels made it easier for him to just communicate that way than like finding a phone, you know, making an international call or whatever. Yeah. This was 2010, so pre pre iPhone, unless you were like really wealthy. So um, he sent an email to his brother uh, over the summer, a picture of Tiffany saying, This is the girl I'm with. Mm -hmm. And on July 10th, he emailed that he had visited the Galapagos, Peru, Chile, and that he planned on visiting at least 25 more local islands. On August 4th, he told his brother, I love it down here. Might never come back. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh Uh-oh. Is he going to come back? (laughs) Um, We'll get into that. Okay, okay. So. His emails soon took on a darker tone, however. A few months after that email where he was like, I love it here, never coming back, mm-hmm. he emailed his parents saying he was thinking of doing, quote, the, unspeak- the unspeakable, so Ooh. attempting suicide. The unspeakable, because you should not speak about it if you're feeling suicidal. Exactly. Just bottle that inside. Yeah, that will, that will definitely make it better. About it. Um, so he sent another email a month later to like other members of the family and told them he was feeling bad, taking drugs and contemplating suicide. So none of his friends or family had ever heard him discuss suicide. So they were all very concerned with this. This felt very out of the blue and like out of character for him, but his brother Paul, thought it might have to do with his former business Chris had been worried that he would be sued. Um, I'll get into that a little later, the whole like business thing, Mm -hmm. but he was just afraid that he was going to be sued or implicated in this lawsuit. And he worried that the IRS was going to ask him for back taxes and like audit him. I don't know what the fuck. So 
Paul was worried that Chris had thought that by like leaving the country, you know, gallivanting around South America with a Playboy playmate, he would escape his problems. And he found that it wasn't fixing that, you know, and mm-hmm. that he thought something might be, he would do something drastic. And I also wrote a note, we've all been there, cough, in Edinburgh in 2017. <laughs> uh, thankfully, in November of 2010, it seemed that Chris had finally gotten into a better place mentally. His emails stopped mentioning suicide and started focusing on his upcoming travels. He told his family he had left the yacht and Tiffany behind and he went on alone to India. And that from there, he was planning to head to Turkey, Cyprus, Egypt, and then Morocco. And he followed up a few weeks later saying he'd met a man and they were planning on sailing to Egypt together before continuing southward across Africa into the Serengeti. Okay. Interesting. So, yes. And by men and man, I don't think romantically, I think he just like met some dude that was like, I have a yeah, girl yeah. of Egypt. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So he told his friends that he had visited the pyramids. Like he basically documented his travels through Africa. He said he had visited the pyramids in Egypt and that he'd gone to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And this is where it starts getting a little unbelievable to me. And I say this sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. He told them he had found, quote, a conflict diamond in the Congo. Oh, wow. Look at that. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Are, were you in the mines? Like He, that... was, he was mining. He was a diamond miner. Yeah. Apparently. And I wrote, holy colonialism, Batman. Because, <laughs> wow. I mean. Uh... <laughs> So in December, he wrote to his brother to tell him that he had been sandboarding and that it was epic. And he also I hate this man. This man sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he also let him know that he eventually uh, planned to head to Costa Rica by uh-huh. February of 2011. And he hoped that the two could meet there. And Paul was really excited to finally see his brother in person after mm-hmm. not seeing him for several months. He wanted to hear about all his adventures in person and stuff. But a few days later, on December 26th, he got another email from Chris that said he was headed back up through the Congo because he'd found a dealer in Rwanda that would pay 30% markup on Krugerrand, which is the South African uh, currency. Mm-hmm. And then he never emailed Chris again, uh, emailed Paul again. So, Yeah. Uh, because Chris had told Paul that they should meet in Costa Rica, Paul contacted the property manager of the crash pad they had stayed in. It, they called it a crash pad. Ooh, a crash pad. I'm guessing just like an early type of Airbnb or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'd stayed there before. So he called and was like, hey, has my brother made any arrangements for our stay there we're gonna be there in february and they were like no we haven't heard from your brother at all so then his family began to get you know worried so in march of 2011 his parents reported him missing mm-hmm. to the u.s state department um because they were they believed he'd left the country yeah so the first step in their investigation was to try and see when chris had first left the u.s and what country he'd first traveled to at the very least but they soon learned there was no sign of him ever leaving the country his mm-hmm. passport had not been used they so they referred the family to their local police in orange county instead they were like it seems like he's never left the country you need to go to the laguna beach police instead mm-hmm. Chris's father also began his own investigation, kind of simultaneous to Laguna Beach police's. Uh, his first step was to meet with Ed, and uh, 
they finally got kind of an explanation for why there was no record of his passport ever being used mm-hmm. and told Stephen, which is Chris's dad, that he was traveling under an assumed name after he had gotten a fake passport from a contact in Nevada <laughs> who hooked him up with a fixer in Southern California. Oh. Interesting. Yes. Ed said he had seen this mysterious fixer once, but he had never learned his name. And then Ed emailed Steven saying he remembered the fixer being about 5'9", stocky, well-built, and with dark hair. He told them he was also concerned about Chris and that from what he remembered, the fixer would probably be the best guy for them to talk to. Ed then emailed Stephen again, saying that he had looked into the fixer and discovered he was missing in action and that his phone was disconnected. So he was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, now I'm like really worried. Yeah. <laughs> so Stephen turned over the info that Ed had given him to the police and Chris's mom began sharing his photo to the State Department, hoping facial recognition technology may have caught him at a security checkpoint somewhere around the world. Yeah. Um, however... Ed and Chris's family now believed, quote, we feel he must have met a corrupt gold coin exchange dealer who either robbed, killed, or kidnapped him. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) The only plausible explanation. Only. Uh, Despite their best efforts, however, shockingly, there were no new leads. No facial recognition scanners had caught Chris ever leaving the country, nor had he been seen in any of the countries his emails said he'd been to, like Chile, Crete, Rwanda, or South Africa. They were also confused about why Chris would have ever gotten a fake passport in the first place. They were like, you know, why was he trying to run? Like, why couldn't he just use his own passport? So with no new leads, Laguna Beach police decided to bring Ed in for questioning in June of 2011, mm-hmm. since he'd been the last person to have had contact with Chris before he'd gone missing. Ed explained that Chris had run off due to the embezzlement case against Ed by LG Technologies. He had been convicted by then and ordered to pay $850,000 in restitution and legal fees. And because Chris had been a consultant for LG I don't know how the timelines worked necessarily. I don't know if they worked there at the same time or something, but Chris had also been named in the criminal complaint. And so while the charges against him had eventually been dropped, he was still paranoid that he'd be brought up in civil court. Mm -hmm. And so he just wanted to like escape and flee the country. And if he used his own passport, obviously they'd be able to track where he was and possibly extradite him. So... That's why Ed said he decided to get a false passport. Uh-huh. And this theory made a lot of sense in some of Chris's early emails. Uh, for example, one in September of 2010, he emailed his lawyer that he had heard one of the parties in the LG case was going after him for embezzlement as well. Mm-hmm. And he told him, quote, I won't be back until I absolutely need to. So based on this info, detectives felt like it was most likely that Chris had snuck out of the country and was in hiding and would remain in hiding until the lawsuit situation blew over. Oh, yeah, just hide. Just hide until your legal issues are gone. Basically. Um, However, uh, there was a break in the case when in January of 2011. Well, okay, it wasn't in January 2011, but it began in January of 2011. Uh So Ed packed up the 800 exchange offices and just disappeared, like didn't tell his landlord, 
just like left. And eventually the landlord like realized that and that he'd skipped out on $40,000 worth of rent. Mm -hmm. I don't know for how long he wasn't paying. I don't know how long, how much the rent was, but um, fuck landlords. So anyway, Mm -hmm. pissed off. The landlord hired another tenant of his who had an office like four doors down. Yeah. um, From Ed and Chris's. He was a private investigator named Joe to help him find Chris and Ed. He was like, I want to find them. They owe me money. Like, Mm -hmm. please. So when they began looking into the case, um, Joe and his partner, Chris Hoiberger, discovered that Chris's extended disappearance was incredibly concerning. They were like, why hasn't anyone looked into this? Like, he's been gone Mm -hmm. for so long. So in July of 2011... The former 800 exchange office was still vacant. It hadn't been rented out to anyone else. And since Joe and Chris were doing their investigation, they asked the landlord if they could take a look inside. And the landlord said yes, that he had actually offered the Laguna Beach police to have a look inside as well. And that they declined. So they were like, has it been vacant since Ed left? And he was like, yeah, like I haven't rented it out to anyone else. You can take a look inside. Um, so they went in and they found small blood stains on a light switch and the door jam of the office that had belonged to Chris. Mm-hmm. So they immediately informed Laguna Beach police. Working off the tip, they searched the former office and discovered and confirmed that those marks were um, were blood. The police searched the former office, sorry. And they also found blood stains on the walls of the break room and the hallways. Oh, very suspicious. They also found blood on Chris's office door, on carpets inside and outside his office, and drops of blood on the ceiling above Chris's desk. And the blood later came back as a match for Chris. What are you doing to get blood on the ceiling? (laughs) We will talk about that. So suddenly everything was kind of falling into place. So they started kind of like looking back on before Chris had disappeared. And these two friends came forward saying that in May of 2010, so before his disappearance, Chris had rented two oceanfront rooms at this luxurious resort and invited a bunch of his friends to stay. Like, he was like, my treat, I'm doing it all for you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. By that, at that point, Chris had been with his girlfriend, Erica, and by the end of the trip, they were engaged. So for him to have suddenly, like, broken up with her and then gone off with, like, this Playboy playmate was already odd to be in with. And his friend said that he was happy and showing off, like, how flush with cash he was. Mm -hmm. But that at the end of one night, he pulled his friends over and told him, quote, there's some weird shit going on with my business partner right now. Uh, (laughs) Very suspicious. Yeah. He told them he had decided he wanted out of the company and that once he returned to Orange County after this trip, he was going to finalize a buyout deal. Mm -hmm. He said that after the LG case and what had gone, you know, what had happened with Ed, he was afraid that Ed would screw him over. So he just wanted, he didn't want to deal with that anymore. He had been so afraid of Ed doing the same thing to him that he had taken measures against any potential embezzlement. Mm-hmm. Two months earlier, Chris had set up a safeguard that required signatures from both him and Ed for any company check over $500. And for the buyout that he wanted, he specifically stated that Ed needed to sign the agreement first. 
place $1 million into escrow. Don't know what escrow is. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not going to look it up. <laughs> no, I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. And that only after those two things had happened would Chris then countersign and the deal be done. So on June 4th, the day the deal was supposed to be done, he sent an email to his lawyer saying, quote, we need to make sure Ed doesn't have room for fraud. He's itching to do it again. So clearly, you know, any communication and trust between the two men had like fallen apart. So that day, Ed and Chris met at the office after the company's four other employees had left for the day because they always left early on Fridays. And Ed told them that the meeting, Ed told police that the meeting had gone as planned. Mm-hmm. He said he had put the million in escrow, signed first, and that only after did Chris sign and that Chris got his money and they left and they never saw each other again. And mm-hmm. that was all that he knew. However, the newly found bloodstains made them question this version of the story. Upon further investigation, they learned Chris had never received the promised $1 million from Ed. He had never chartered a yacht. And the picture of Tiffany he'd sent to his brother had been just, like, taken from the internet. So it wasn't a picture that he had taken. So on August 8th, 2011, as Ed was about to board a flight to Canada at LAX, he was arrested and charged with murder in special circumstances for financial gain. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So now in custody, Ed changed his story. He admitted that things had not gone as planned on the day they signed the deal. He said that he, like they'd been signing the deal and then he confronted Chris about trashing the office space on a drunken bender. I don't know when the supposed drunken bender happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was that day or anyway. Ed was mad because he said that, like, Ed had trashed the office and he had to clean the office. And he was like, you asshole, basically, like, making me do this. And so they started just, like, arguing. And that led to, like, a physical confrontation where they started hitting each other. And then eventually, if you've ever seen Gilmore Girls, the scene where Luke and Chris are fighting. Mm-hmm with each other and they're just kind of like yeah. grappling yeah and being like, she said that that's basically what was happening they were like grappling <laughs> with each other and like you know head to head like and that tv drama fight yeah. yes and that ed was eventually able to like shove him away um but that meant that chris fell backwards and hit his head on the corner of a desk and he landed on the floor and said ed said he was bleeding heavily and barely moving so Ed said he panicked, assumed that Chris was dead, like didn't check, just like assumed, mm-hmm. and then called a friend named Johnny Coponin, which went by the nickname Vegas, for help with, quote, garbage disposal. So disposing of the body. Ed said Vegas told him to leave the office unlocked and to meet an associate of his in L.A., and he said that for a fee of $10,000 to $15,000, the body was disappeared for him. However, Johnny slash Vegas later told police <laughs> that Ed had actually never called him for help with disposing of a body and that he, his story was made up. And then Ed also admitted to writing all the emails that Chris had sent to family and friends, hoping that it would throw suspicion off of him. Mm-hmm. So at trial, Ed's lawyers tried to argue that it was self-defense, that also they tried to argue that they couldn't know if Chris was actually dead because 
Ed's story, right, was that he just like saw him bleeding on the floor and barely moving, but he never checked to make sure he was dead. And that he then called someone else mm-hmm. who disposed of him, right? So they were like, they wouldn't even concede that Chris was actually dead. And then they said, well, even if he was dead, it would be manslaughter. So, well, whatever, right? <laughs> Um, however, prosecutors had a different theory. So they said that their, his story made no sense because if Chris had died from falling and hitting his head on the table, then why was there blood on the ceiling? Uh, the only way for this to happen, they argued, was if Chris had been stabbed or hit with a blunt object, something that would cause blood to go flying rather than just like pooling. Yeah. They also said that his killing was definitely premeditated and that the motive behind his murder was that Ed did not want to and did not have the money to pay Chris the $1 million that he wanted to buy him out of the company. Interesting. He was, yeah, he was already heavily in debt. He had the 850000 he had to pay to LG. And then there was another six-figure gambling debt he had to pay off in Las Vegas. So he, like, did not have the funds to pay Chris. And they also said that if there truly had been a self-defense killing and that Ed felt like remorse over it, yeah, Ed had regained composure very quickly because at 7, 10 p.m. on June 4th, after Chris was already dead, according to Ed... Mm-hmm. He emailed a buyout agreement to Chris's attorney with terms that were revised in his own favor. So instead of $1 million, Chris was now supposedly happy to be bought out for 30000 along with 10 gold coins. And that was it. <laughs> 10 so, gold coins. Yeah. Apparently the coins were worth about 15000 so 45000 oh. <laughs> It's yeah. still from $1 million to 45000 yeah. yeah. like nothing so police also discovered that shortly after um the death i guess the murder ed rented a truck Mm -hmm. and after reviewing cell phone records discovered that he had made a call to enterprise for roadside assistance (laughs) which is so funny to me yes he was like help so that happened at 2 30 a.m on june 7th the prosecution says that it was because he was disposing of the body he was in a remote area east of san diego along the mexican border Mm -hmm. and though they've searched for his body in this area they've never been able to find it but ed says that no he was actually just trying to flee to mexico but i guess his car broke down he decided against it and why was he fleeing to mexico on June 7th, nobody knew that he said, <laughs> like, why would he flee unless he had killed? It just doesn't make sense. But weird. And also fucked up by telling his employees to work from home the week after the murder so he could have the office professionally cleaned. When a maintenance man for the office complex showed up and noticed blood literally everywhere. <laughs> this is not part of my cleaning job. <laughs> yeah. like, this is too much. No. Ed told him that Chris had cut his arm while slicing an apple. It flung blood onto the ceiling. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so thankfully, Ed was found guilty of first degree murder with special circumstances for financial gain or whatever. Yeah. And he was given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. But Good. he still maintains that Chris's death with this was an accident. He still says that he didn't kill him on purpose. And he has never, like, the family has, like, begged him to say where Chris's body is. But he says, well, I don't know. I'm not the one that disposed of it. So I can't tell you. 
So yeah, it's a little asshole, basically. The end. Interesting. That's the case that was Chris Smith. <laughs> that was obnoxiously California, and you're right. Right? <laughs> Orange County. It, it found a diamond in Africa. It found a couple of diamonds. Shut up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. Wow, that was also my favorite. You know, I was just cutting an apple and like it got really out of hand. You know? Oops. Yeah. Oops. Like Oopsies. cut open an artery. <laughs> but also poor janitor, like showing up and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, it was an apple. Like, Don't worry about it, dude. Just like, uh, you know, whatever. God. Wow. Terrible people in both these cases, honestly. They were. They were truly terrible. I feel like in this case, like, rest in peace, Chris. Obviously, I don't think he deserved to die despite having no. wacko beliefs. Yeah. But his wacko beliefs really made him, made me like him less. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a beautiful recipe that I've chosen for us. Ooh, <laughs> You're going to yes, hate it. So it's from a website called Vintage Recipe Cards. Dinner, just like mom used to make, which, no. Mm. My mom coached me this. It I would not be alive right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's called perfection salad. So here's our ingredients. You need two envelopes of unflavored gelatin. So we're already starting out delightfully. I guess it's unflavored instead of like cherry or lime. Yes. Yeah. There, there could be hope at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. You also need half a cup of sugar, one teaspoon of salt, one can of apple juice, half a cup lemon juice, two tablespoons of vinegar, oh. one cup of shredded... Oh, you're like vinegar. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Revolting. One cup of shredded carrot, one cup of sliced celery, one cup of finely shredded cabbage... Mm. half cup chopped green pepper and one can of pimento (laughs) number ones in a small saucepan combine your gelatin sugar and salt mix well then add one cup of water heat over low heat stirring constantly until sugar and gelatin are dissolved remove from heat stir in apple juice lemon juice vinegar more cold water pour into a medium bowl Refrigerate for one hour. Okay, this part is really gross. Or until the mixture is the consistency of an unbeaten egg white. What the <laughs> I don't fuck? Like that imagery. It's so gross. So what? Slimy and gloopy? Yeah, I was gonna say like I. <laughs> okay. Okay. Add carrot, celery, cabbage, green pepper, and pimento. Stir until well combined. Turn into a decorative one and a half quart mold. Refrigerate four hours or until firm. Until firm. So they put it in like this tiered like jello mold that looks like kind of like a castle thing. It's gross. <laughs> Number six, to unmold, run a small spatula around the edge of the mold. Invert onto a salad, onto a serving plate. Place a hot dishcloth over the mold. Shake gently to release. Repeat if necessary. Lift off mold, refrigerate until ready to serve. <laughs> God. Cheer okay. Jello mold should just be illegal. Yes, that was from the beautiful year of 1973. I, I was guess scrolling, book. scrolling down. People comment on it, and, and <laughs> I like their. Some people are like, "Yeah, my aunt used to make this delicious," <laughs> and then other people 
Someone wrote, 1950s husband comes home from work to this slop on the table, says, honey, I told you I'd unclog the kitchen drain this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Ew. The people that did these things to Jello are just responsible <laughs> for crimes against humanity. Someone says, what in the fresh hell is this? <laughs> Ew. We make and enjoy perfection salad every Thanksgiving. Although my family's version is a bit updated from this one. No, there's no way. It's jello with sugar, apple juice. It looks like floating, like if you took a veggie soup and they're all just I'm, floating I'm so in cute. it. Oh my God. I looked at the picture. It legitimately looks like vomit. Doesn't it? It's like it floating in it. Yeah. And the little sad lettuce around it, it's it's a very bad one. I found a different recipe, like a mm-hmm. version of it that has an optional dressing made of mayonnaise, oh, milk, no. and sugar. Oh, no. Mayonnaise and sugar. Wow. And it's also <laughs> made with lime jello instead of unflavored jello. It looks really, really bad. I'll give it that. It does. <laughs> it looks truly terrible. I can't imagine eating that. What? You hit the jello. It's kind of sweet. There's some apple juice. There's some sugar in there. And then what? You're just like chewing on an uncooked veggie. Yeah, on raw cabbage. Raw carrot. Raw, raw green pepper. Yeah. Raw vinegary green pepper. And Ew. Carrot. Ewy, ewy. Ew. Oh my God. I'm just looking at pictures of it. This one has like fancy radishes. Ooh. put on it but no 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 don't no, do the that. radishes don't help it still looks gross <laughs> there's no there's no helping this oh my god the, the handmade one. one like the homemade not the like 70s stylized version it's so mm-hmm. bad looking it looks so bad it does it looks like throw up <laughs> cabbage peppers and celery and a tangy from scratch lemon jelly Ugh. Oh my god. Ah, there's so many recipes for this. That's also disturbing. I hate that it's not just one. I know. I hate that it's a thing that some people apparently still make it every Thanksgiving. Yes. Um somebody should so call I the found health department. The recipe that you read. Yes. I want to find the comments. But I can't. <laughs> the Midwest. Of course it's from the Midwest. Well of course it is. That was truly horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> short Thank but <you>. sweet <laughs> exactly so go and make yourself some yummy perfection salad i know what i'm going to be doing tonight <laughs> this looks <laughs> anything the, but that <laughs> the jello mold also just looks like a weird short like chode i don't know how to do <laughs> <laughs> ew they put olives in it and sour cream on top what the hell uh, <laughs> okay, look uh, at the pictures I sent you. <laughs> okay. I haven't gotten them yet. I sent them on Snapchat. Oh, on Snapchat. Oh, yeah. I did a Snapchat for me. Yep, looks like a show. Yeah, I found <laughs> <laughs> The olives one is worse. Oh. Yeah, it has like a blob of what? Sour cream on top, and you're <laughs> queen of condiments, so. <laughs> I, almost, I almost gagged at that one. <laughs> It was really bad. I think the bad. only way, the only way they could have made it worse is if it had some sort of like meat product in it. Yeah, that's true. Of like, If they're like, put meat. tuna in, if they put tuna in that, it would put me over the edge. It would put me, yes. <laughs> like, no. Without the mayonnaise, I think it would still taste horrible, but I would 
I would try it on a dare. Like, like, <laughs> on a dare. No. I would try it if paid. <laughs> if bribed to do so. I don't think it would be like that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but then you bite it and it hits you with yeah, that vinegar. That vinegar. Exactly. <laughs> I just think texturally too. Yeah. It seems like it's very firm gelatin. <laughs> Ew. And like, cr- ugh, no. Ew. Horrid. I hate it. <laughs> Me too. Well, okay. <laughs> yes, that was fun. That was fun. I liked our cases this week. Mine was very we exciting. And we'll talk to you next week. Yes. I hope you're doing the name of this episode weekend. again from me editing is yes. Extreme Horse Girl Energy. <laughs> yes. It helps last week when I when you said it helped last again. week when you're like, like what the heck? <laughs> Glowdy Caterade. <laughs> Oops. Okay. Well, have a nice week, everyone. Yes. Thank you for hanging out with us for two thank hours you. if you made it through. Yay. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye.